Welcome, everyone, to this edition of Pop Tech Radio. I am Mike Etchart. So glad to have you here today. We are going to be talking about iTunes. You may have seen the news and the headlines. iTunes going away. It's, it was a great headline. Not exactly true. We're going to talk about what's really happening and, and uh, what's going on with iTunes. But, you know, if you are a fan of digital music or a fan of technology, you, you've been using iTunes for a very long time, and it's really pretty miraculous that it has stayed in mostly its same incarnation for the last, gosh, about 18 years. I want to say that it came about in around 2001, shortly before the, uh, the introduction of the iPod, and that the iPod was revolutionary and iTunes was a big reason that I, the iPod was so successful because it was such a great librarian system. And, and, you know, you've probably heard me talk on the show a fair amount about the fact that, you know, the iPod was not the first digital music player by a long shot. There were digital music players coming out in almost maybe the mid nineties, certainly the late nineties, well before the iPod was introduced. But one of the things they all had in common was they were terrible in terms of just the management of those files, those songs, they were terrible. And, you know, way before digital music happened, I was a big fan of the Walkman. Remember the Walkman? <laughs> that was, that was a revolutionary device. That was the first portable music player. And of course it used cassettes in the day. And then there was, I guess it was called the Discman after that. It was portable DVD players. They didn't work as well in terms of just because of the, there was, at least I wore them for, for exercise. But when, when the original Walkmans and then their clones came out, and this would have been in the, boy, the mid-80s, I guess, early 80s probably, I was an early adopter and loved it. I spent so much time making mixtapes. I was running a lot then and jogging, and I would make these elaborate mixtapes uh, with different songs and spend all this time of you know recording them on a cassette player and then going out and and running with them and it was fantastic it was absolutely amazing I love you know having that immediate portability when you're exercising at the time and and cassette was the big format in those days was fantastic and I was a a longtime user of that well into the 90s and into the early 2000s and I never even though I I, I had a lot of friends that had those early digital music players. My first one was the iPod. But the uh, when you got when iTunes was introduced and then the iPod shortly thereafter, it was absolutely revolutionary. And it was great for me creating set lists for exercising because if I didn't like the first song being the first song in iTunes, I could just slide it down into the fifth song or the eighth song or whatever it was. It was just fantastic. And that first iPod, of course, was really really a, a wonderful device and we'll talk a little bit more about that later on in the show as well how much fun we all had in those early days of digital music with iTunes and with the iPod but now we are getting to a point where the uh, where iTunes has really kind of outlived its usefulness mostly because it does so much now it's really gotten kind of I don't know the bloated is the right word but it's just it's become uh, it's just become outdated. It's 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 been asked to do too many things, and what Apple's going to do is they're going to split it up. So, it made great headlines uh, for saying how iTunes is going to be discontinued. But the fact is, we're going to all be fine, and we're going to move on with our lives, and it's going to still exist in much the same way that it has. It's just going to be divided up into different categories, so to speak. But you know, it's to for for a piece of software to last 18 years, which is more or less how long. 
it has been lasting is absolutely revolutionary. So kind of our hats off, I would say our hats off to Apple, but Apple didn't even develop that. It was developed by another company that Apple ended up buying. Um, uh, but it's been, you know, if, if you would have told those developers back in the day that, hey, this piece of software will last for 18 years, there's not a person in that room that would have believed that. So it's a huge success that iTunes still exists. I still use it on my computer. I still have a ton of different set lists and my, my digital catalog that is there, all of my, or my digital library, I should say. It's all still in iTunes and it still is working fine and it's going to be fine when they split it up and it's going to be divided into music and television and podcasts and other things. So that it's fine. But we're going to talk today a little bit more about what's going on at Apple and how kind of the development of iTunes happened and the iPod because you can't mention one without the other and really how revolutionary and eventually evolutionary all of those technologies became. And then we're going to talk a little bit about where we are today with digital music and subscriptions and what's going to be happening in the future. So stick with us. We're going to take a quick break and we come back. We've got the story of iTunes. This is Pop Tech Radio. Be right back. Cancer is the number one cause of death by disease for children in the U.S. today. Since the Austin Hatcher Foundation's birth in 2006, it has grown to provide unique programs to help the children and the families affected by pediatric cancer. Support begins at the time of diagnosis and continues throughout survivorship at no cost to families. Lives touched by the foundation continue to rise each day. But we need your help. Donate, volunteer, or partner with the Austin Hatcher Foundation. Learn how you can get involved. Visit HatcherFoundation.org for more information. Welcome back. It is Pop Tech Radio. Mike Etchard and my good friend Jay Gilbert is joining me. He is the co-founder of Label Logic and the digital strategist for said company. And he also has a wonderful newsletter on digital music called Your Morning Coffee. That is kind of the must read in the music industry. Jay, we've known each other forever, but this is the first time you've been on the show, and I'm stoked to have you. It is, and I'm stoked to be here. And thank you for the kind words and the introduction. It is all true. It is all true. But let's talk about the headline was iTunes is done. Right. That's not entirely true, really. No, no, it's not. I mean, you know, after 18 years with this new Catalina operating system, you know, Apple is changing some things around a little bit. And if you were to believe the headlines, you'd think that iTunes was gone. But it's not, you know, really. I mean, it's just they're breaking these things up into separate pieces kind of for separate uses really there's music there's podcasts and there's television and they're all going to have their own apps under this new catalina you know macintosh operating system it's you're not going to lose your downloads that you have you know don't don't panic everything's going to be fine well you know what i what i kind of liken it to is i live in a neighborhood in my little town where i live that is it was historically kind of funky houses weekend cabins and then over mm-hmm. the years People just started adding on to them in a funny room here and a goofy bathroom over there. <laughs> and so the neighborhood. I see where you're going. Yeah. And, and that's kind of what what happened to iTunes, isn't it? Is it just yeah. they kept adding on to it. And at some point you kind of look at the whole structure and go, oh, God, this is kind of a mess. And well, you, know, you got to know kind of where it came from. 
first. I mean, really, sure. you know, they had purchased somebody else's software to kind of kick it off mm-hmm. to get it going. And if you were to talk to people at Apple back in the early days, and we did, they would tell you that it was held together by duct tape and chewing gum. You know, <laughs> it was really fragile. And the fact that it worked as well as it did um, is a testament to Apple. But remember, they always did that thing that Silicon Valley is famous for where they'd come out with version 1.0 and then later 2.0, and they just kind of improved it, and we got used to that, and we accepted that. Yeah, we did. Well, and and as I said in my first segment, you know, it was great. I mean, when, when – because oh, it was – the iPod was not the first digital music play. Mm-hmm. But none of them had very good librarian or library systems. Right, that was a problem. Yes. My recollection is you got an iPod early, early on. Yeah, I had the first one, you know, like right when it came out. Um, But I had been a big fan of MP3 players prior to that. I had a Diamond Rio um, there was another one that I had that used music match software. I think that's what, what it was called. I'm trying to rack my brain, but I remember they carried, I mean, there were very few songs. It was enough to kind of go to the gym with, yes. or maybe, you know, your ride on your bicycle or something. And when the iPod came out, it was the most beautiful device I had ever seen. Cause all these other little devices were kind of clunky and kind of ugly and kind of cheap looking. And, you know, this thing came out and it was solid, you know, and it had some weight to it. And I think it only had like five gigabytes on it. And which I think their advertisement was something like, you know, a thousand songs in your pocket. Right. And I absolutely fell in love with this device um, I did a lot of kind of on the weekend rollerblading near my old house because there was kind of a track nearby. And I took that thing with me every single day. And it was just like my my prized possession. I couldn't believe the sound that yeah. came out of that at the time. And if I'm not mistaken, it had a big plug on the top for Firewire. Remember yep. Firewire, that big, thick? Of course. You know, I mentioned this before you came on. It, as a runner, I would spend hours making these set lists. And then but then they were baked, you know, on a cassette tape. <laughs> Whereas as soon as you got the iPod, you're like, oh, you know, I really want this song to be the third song instead of the eighth song. And that yeah. was easily done in yeah. iTunes software. And it was, oh, it was just revolutionary. And, and it, it was, was so visual, right? You could just yeah. look at it and just with a click of a mouse kind of move some things around. And if you're like me, I mean... I loved making mixtapes. You know, it was like the movie High Fidelity. Uh, yeah, that's every stage of my life was making these mixtapes and making the perfect one. And and it wasn't just throwing a bunch of songs together. It was like it had to start a certain way and it had to build and it, you know, it had kind of a lull and then it would bring back up. And I had the the great pleasure of working with uh, a guy at Apple named Gary Stewart. And Gary recently. Uh, sadly passed away, but he put together all of the iTunes essentials and next steps and best ofs. I mean, he literally put together thousands of these quote unquote mixtapes, playlists, whatever you want to call them. And they're still there and they're still amazing. Right. But I would work on some of those with him, with artists that I knew about. And And it wasn't about your favorite songs necessarily. It was about, you know, is this a fan favorite? Is it still being played live by the band? Is it been in any 
movies and there was really a method to his madness and for those of us who put together a lot of these quote-unquote mixtapes we have a passion for this stuff and and the ipod really allowed us to take that to another level itunes made it happen on that note we got to take a quick break you're listening to pop tech radio i'm mike etchart we've got jay gilbert here we are talking about the changing itunes and the future of digital music actually so we've got more when we come back pop tech radio Brembo has been stopping champions on the track as well as drivers like you and me on the street for over 50 years. Whether it's UV-coated brake discs, low-dust premium ceramic brake pads, or high-temperature brake fluid, BremboStoreUSA.com is the place to go to buy genuine Brembo OE-equivalent replacement brake components. Go to BremboStoreUSA.com to help you achieve that 60-0 to braking performance you deserve and expect from Brembo. Brembo, the choice of champions and consumers for over 50 years. And we are back. Mike Etchart here with my good friend Jay Gilbert. He, of course, co-founder of Label Logic. He's a digital strategist there, and he also is the author or co-author of Your Morning Coffee, which is a wonderful newsletter that is the most read, certainly in the in the tech side of the music industry. And Jay, is there a website for Your Morning Coffee? Yes, you, you can go. That. Yeah, you can go to Label Logic. Dot net. It's label-logic.net, and it's okay. the first thing that you see. It's free. comes out every Friday at about 5.30 in the morning if you're up that early. And it's and I'm not. <laughs> I it comes in. It does come it, in. It's, it's a highly curated look at, you know, the, what we call the new music business, basically. You know, everything about streaming, you know, everything about how, you know, this industry is shifting because of this new eco, ecosystem. So, yeah, it's check great. it out. It's a must. Thank you. You know, so we were talking as we were in our Wayback Machine there, talking about the early days of iTunes and the iPod, and we almost forget that it was Mac only in those. Was it two years or so that it was Mac only? I don't even remember. Yeah, it seemed like forever, and it was a big deal when they opened up to Windows. You know, there were people that were upset about it, right? (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Mac owners were upset about it. Yeah. Yeah, and then I mean, the Zune came out in July of two thousand nine. Okay, so some time after the iPod. Yeah, yeah. So, and there were other players in the market, you know, that played nice with uh, Windows or DOS or whatever you were running at the time, but nothing was as popular out of the shoot, of course, as that original iPod. Right, and we would see that replayed when the iPhone came out in terms of just the buzz and the excitement, yeah. and again, not the first smartphone. No, but certainly one that that had a lot of the things that we now take for granted in smartphones as being a component of those early ones. And absolutely the same thing with the iPod. It grabbed a lot of the right things to be a component of it. That's right. And you make a very good point. And that is that it wasn't the first, you know, the iPad wasn't the first, you know, tablet. The iPhone wasn't the first, you know, kind of smartphone. But Apple was so good at taking complex technologies and making them simple and usable for everybody. I remember the day I got my first iPhone. I remember coming home. I mean, I don't I even remember there was the an app store yet. Yes, and again, people forget, but 
that was a big switch because you had to go to AT&T. And many of us were on Verizon or wherever. And it's like, I don't want to switch. And it wasn't that good at the time. I'm having fairly good luck with it now, but it, it certainly wasn't the top network back then. It was not. No, absolutely not. But the iPod, I mean, kind of like you were saying in the last segment, once you got one, you're like, how did I live without this for all these years? And if you were a, a giant music fan, as you and I were, I mean, it was such a game changer. And iTunes, again, made it simple. It made it was such a friendly and accessible piece of software that everybody could operate. Um, and then they yeah. and then they made a Windows version. And it just got enormous. Yeah, that ecosystem uh, it just clicked with people. It worked with people, and and people wanted to, you know, fill their libraries and make their mixtapes. But just to touch on that, you know, there were other MP3 players and other, you know, everything. You know, one of my clients is Doc McGee, and he has this great saying that you it's have to say big. Who Doc McGee is oh, Doc McGee manages Kiss currently and and Vintage Trouble, but he's managed. You know, he's in the Motley Crue movie. He managed them, uh, Bon Jovi. You know, Scorpions in the music business. Yeah, he's forgotten more about the industry than most of these people know. But I, I I love the guy. He's he's a great person, and he says sometimes it's big because we say it's big, and that's is Apple. Apple is so good at marketing. Not only did they take these technologies and make them simple, but they made them beautiful. They made them aspirational. You wanted to have that iPod. You know, their ads made it so you felt like you were left out if you didn't have one. Yes, they did. And I remember when I got my, because I, was, I wasn't as early, quite as early as you. I, I remember I waited about four months and I waited for refurb units to be out there. And I bought it from a company that's, I don't think they're still in business, a company called Small Dog. Uh-huh. It, in the East Coast, and they were selling refurb Macs. Up, and I got a refurbed uh, iPod. And when you showed it to people, and it, you know, and again, it, like you said, if you got, you, if you grew up in the era of, of the Walkman, you know, you you could see that there was a tape going in there, but you certainly you could hear what song it was, but there was no, there was no visual readout of the songs. And when you show people that iPod, they're just like, oh my god, one. <laughs> <laughs> How much? And they were, I want to say they were $2.99 at the time. They were they were pretty expensive. For they were very expensive at the time. Remember they had that, it wasn't the fully fleshed out that we remember from later. It had that scroll wheel, yes, it but it, around the scroll wheel, it still kind of had buttons. And I remember vividly that screen that it had, you know, it really was like almost like a DOS computer. It was just text. <laughs> it wasn't, it didn't have any album art. No. It wasn't beautiful it didn't have like a progress bar that was gorgeous or anything and of course it evolved over time but there was something very charming about it and i think i don't have one in front of me but i i remember the back was chrome yes it was absolutely yes it was no question about it and um but but again yes we didn't you know didn't have the stuff that we now take for granted but just having the visual thing and that that, that clicky scroll wheel yeah. was just unbelievable. You know, you moved down, like, oh, I'm sick of the song. Exactly. It made that little shuffle sound. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Again, like the iPhone after it, and, you know, you have to think this was part of the genius of Apple, was that moved a lot of people over to Mac computers. It sure did. I know a lot of people who were introduced to the whole Mac OS ecosystem because of the iPod and then also later, to your point, you know, with the iPhone, it brought people into Macs. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was, 
it, w- it was that gateway drug to the <laughs> system. Exactly. Did, lots of people at the time were not into that. And so that was and that was kind of the early back when Steve Jobs came in. So on that note, we got to take a very brief break. You were listening to Pop Tech Radio, Mike Etcher with my good friend Jay Gilbert. And we are coming right back after these days. It's Dodge Performance Days, where that new car smell gets replaced by the scent of burned rubber. With Dodge Charger and its available best-in-class 485 horsepower, Dodge Challenger Hellcat Red Eye, with up to 797 horsepower and 707 pound-feet of torque, and the powerful seven-passenger Dodge Durango. Hurry in for great deals now at Dodge Performance Days. Ward's large regular car vehicle segment. Dodge is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. It is Pop Tech Radio. Mike Etchart, my good friend Jay Gilbert. He, the co-founder of Label Logic. He is a digital strategist. He also has a wonderful newsletter called Your Morning Coffee. He is a whiz and somebody who is Thank really, you. really so well tuned in with the digital music scene, the new music business, as we call it. So we were talking, Jay, of course, about our recollections of the first iPod of iTunes, and then as the development of iTunes continued, then the big thing we were both in the music industry at the time, working for Universal, and then. Steve Jobs kind of made it happen, and suddenly you were able to buy digital music online and download it right to your iTunes on your computer and transfer it over to your iPod. That was really a game changer, wasn't it, when that finally happened? Yeah, it was It was just such an amazing thing because I didn't have to you know, take a CD and rip it. Yeah, and go to it was like running an errand. I didn't have to do that anymore. And I remember the first song I ever bought from the iTunes store. There was a Sheryl Crow remix. It was only available on iTunes, and I thought, well, that's kind of cool. And I downloaded it, and I saw how easy it was to experience music. And eventually, um, I got rid of my CDs, and I was pretty early on to do that. Mm-hmm. But what I did was. I spent a good year and a half ripping all my CDs first. <laughs> and so I have them, you know, and I still have those digital files. But in what was left that I, if there were any holes, I would go on to iTunes and find them. But my favorite thing to do on iTunes was to go into something that I really liked, like Neil Finn. And I would listen to Neil Finn, explore around. And then if I bought a track, it would say other people you know, like this music. And I would start going down this rabbit hole and I would buy a track and then it would show me some other bands and I would buy a track and I would spend, you know, hours just going deep into this rabbit hole on iTunes. And it was just for a music fan. It was like going through an old record store. It really was. Yeah. And that sort of recommendation or that, you know, like you said, it was so easy to just lose track of time. Yeah. And because it was decoupled, right? Remember, that was a big deal back then. It was. You could buy tracks. You didn't have to buy the entire album. And there's a long debate about it, whether that was good or bad. But the fact is, for a music fan, I could go in there and grab the songs that I wanted. Now, I still like albums. But, you know, there's some songs out there where I, I don't need the full album. Yep. No, absolutely. And even at that point, when the iTunes store opened up, you know, people weren't really complaining about it. It was okay. Yeah. 
And it was really surprising watching the adoption because, you know, you and I would go to meetings, you know, at Universal where we worked. And initially, good sellers were maybe, you know, 50 units a week, 100 units a week. Whereas on the CD side, you know, there were thousands, tens of thousands. And it was kind of a rounding error. And I remember just over the weeks and the months, and it happened very fast, um, especially, you know, in 2003 when, you know, the iTunes store launched. Those numbers started picking up, and I remember being in a meeting, we were talking about comedy, because comedy started out very fast digitally, faster than most other genres, believe it or not. And I remember we had Larry the Cable Guy and Ron White, and I was coming into meetings. My digital department started outselling the physical and that's when people started taking notice. It was a very exciting time in the industry. It was. And it was funny how comedy, I, I've completely forgotten that. But yes, how little niches like that would suddenly pop up. But, you know, the other thing that was going on, as you and I both know, but maybe, you know, folks listening don't remember, you know, this was kind of also as physical retail stores of CDs started to shrink. Yeah. So you started to have less and less places to go and buy CDs. And so, you know, it's kind of these two things happening in the marketplace um, right. dramatically changed. But the iTunes store opened up, it opened the floodgates. And then when do you think was kind of the pushback on iTunes? When did people kind of start to say, oh, you know, this really could stand an upgrade? I, my recollection is it was in the mid 2000s. Yeah, I think that's close. I think what we have to keep in mind is that iTunes really was an answer to Napster and LimeWire and all of that free, you know, file trading, stealing, whatever you want to call it, pirating, people taking music for free. And then all of a sudden, you know, we had an alternative to that that was legitimate. And that was so appealing to a lot of folks that they didn't care that it wasn't the most beautiful interface initially. We liked it. But you're right, you know, as things kind of moved forward, then you also had things like Sony Connect and you had Napster when it became legitimately bought by BMG and you had Rhapsody and you started having these competitors and they all kind of had the same music, give or take. So they started competing on, well, look and feel and things like that. And it became apparent pretty quickly, as you, you know, mentioned that you know, there was a little bit of a pushback of, well, this is kind of a spreadsheet, you know? (laughs) That's right. (laughs) About as sexy as a spreadsheet. Right. And then we get to, at some point, of course, Apple gets in the television business and the book business and the podcast business. And as we're talking about this, what I'm actually really more surprised at is that it's lasted as long as it has and been still fairly functional. Yeah, absolutely. I remember one of the game changers I thought was when Apple quietly allowed you to put your iPhoto from your Mac onto your iPod so you could actually, even if it was a small screen, you could kind of page through and look at your photos. And that opened the door for album art. And they had all that stuff fairly early on. And being a big fan of podcasts, that was one of the favorite uses of my iPod was just I could subscribe. I didn't have to go fetch. You know, I didn't have to go find something. If I had a daily podcast like uh, Tech News Today, you know, with Tom Merritt, or whatever it was, I just got my iPod, you know, I had to sync it up every night, but then I'd put it in my car and it was like subscribing to a magazine. I could listen to that program every day. It was like TiVo for radio and it really changed the game for for me and a lot of people like me because as you know, being in Los Angeles, you spend a lot of time in your car. 
Absolutely. On that note, we do need to take a quick commercial break. You're listening to my friend Jay Gilbert and myself on Tech Radio, and we'll be right back. Have you ever tried to plan a vacation and the hotel costs, airfare, and pet sitter all add up to one big never mind? Well, it's time to embrace the adventure and go RVing instead. GoRVing.com is your one-stop shop for all things RV camping. Browse the different types of RVs, find a rental agent or dealer near you, and compare the costs. Explore more than 16,000 RV parks and campgrounds nationwide, and even plan your menus for the trip. Find out what you've been missing at GoRVing.com. That's GoRVing.com. Tech Radio, Mike Etchart, Jay Gilbert from Label Logic. He's a digital strategist and he is the founder of Your Morning Coffee, which you should check out if you are a fan of digital music and the music industry. You can go to labellogic.net and get that link. It's free to subscribe and it is very cool. It comes in, as Jay mentioned, really early on the West Coast. <laughs> <laughs> really early. Thank you. It's like one of the first emails I get on the Friday. So as we're taking our time travel trip about iTunes and it's not demise, but it's evolving, should we say, it's going to still exist as I gather. Is it still going to exist for Windows users? And more? Yes, I, I understand that it is. It's just going to be a separate standalone app. I always wondered, did Apple know how successful financially the iTunes store would be for them? They must have. But boy, that really turned into just a goldmine, didn't it? Well, I think that they honestly, uh, from everything that I've read, that wasn't the goal. The goal was to sell hardware, and they yeah. weren't necessarily profitable because of all of the licensing deals they had to have initially. So, you know, it's like they they wanted to sell more of Macs and more of these these wonderful iPods that really uh, turned the company around, you know, uh, as the iMac kind of launched and did some amazing things, this thing really brought them into the limelight. And so it wasn't the primary thing. But then, as you mentioned, books, movies, podcasts, all these other things started. It became more of a multimedia. It wasn't just about music anymore. Yes. You know, when we look back on what company could have done this, there really was one, and it was Apple, because they always had had a history of basically being very content focused in the printing business or in the movie business. You know, most people use Mac yeah. for, for that stuff. So they just kind of had that built into their DNA. But had Apple not taken the bull by the horns early on, I don't think much of this would have happened. I mean, it no. really could only have been Apple. No, I think it would have been fragmented because back in that era, the major labels with companies like Pressplay and MusicNet and some of these, we were all trying to have our own proprietary system, you know, our own proprietary stores, which sounds ridiculous today. Like, you, why would you go to one to get Warner Brothers, like Led Zeppelin, you know, and another one at Sony, you know, it's not intuitive, but that's what they were trying to do. And Steve Jobs stepped in right at the right time, made the right partners at the majors and said, look, these people are stealing your music. This way, you can at least control it, get some money for it, protect it, and, you know, blew up. 
and it blew up. It certainly did. And it hasn't been all that long, really, when you look at it. It's been far less than 20 years since it's kind of morphed into what it is now. Yeah. Folks that made a career out of working in the music industry, a lot of us lost our jobs during that transition. Mm -hmm. And of course, the economy dipped way low. And so you had this transition from physical to digital. But now the music companies are incredibly successful based on streaming. Right. And, and, you know, the details a bit more. But, you know, at one point, did it cross over from it was mostly downloads to most streaming? Was that like three years ago? In 2016, streaming surpassed downloads in sales. So it's not that long ago. And it's interesting because streaming took off so fast. We thought downloads, you know, took off fast, but as you mentioned, they lasted a long time as a configuration. But we all talked about the jukebox in the sky and all these stuff, you know, we've been talking about that for years. Mm-hmm. Um and then it happened, but it wasn't Apple where that happened, right? It really started off with uh, you know, with Spotify early on. Yeah, interesting. And of course, they kind of tested because they are a Scandinavian country mm-hmm. that was launched in a small country, yeah. basically. And that gave them a lot of feedback, didn't it? And it allowed yeah. them from a licensing standpoint to do things that they couldn't necessarily do on a grand scale. Yeah, there's a really great book uh, out there called Spotify Teardown. It talks about the history of the company, and it's it's not written by music writers. It's written by analysts. So to give you – and teardown, it just means that they're showing you how things work. And the reason I bring that up is because they, they took a look at Spotify. Most people don't know this, but Spotify started off as an illegal site like LimeWire or the original. That. Yeah, they started off, and they learned early on that you know they were going to get shut down if they didn't you know, strike licensing deals uh, with the majors and, and of course the indies. And they pivoted many, many times. That was just one. Uh, the perception is that they just came out the way they are. But, you know, they haven't been around that long, but they've had plenty of changes, plenty of growth. And now they are so far ahead of everybody else in, you know, a lot of people will call it algorithms. I, I tend to call it personalization, meaning that they know based on what you're listening to, they can recommend things for you. And if you use their Discover Weekly or Release Radar playlist, they are amazing at recommending new music for you. Now, am I mistaken or I thought Apple has now caught up with Spotify in terms of subscriptions in the U.S.? Well, they've caught up in paid subscriptions uh-huh. in the U.S. Spotify has about 100 million more users, you know, because of the they have an ad based platform um, that if you listen to ads, you can listen to, you know, it's not quite the same service, but you can listen to it. And Apple, to their credit, um, they're a little bit more um, music business friendly in that you may be able to get a quick free trial, um, but you need to subscribe in order to to play that game. Right. And we should mention that that, you know, in the case of Spotify, they license music from the from the big companies and the big companies hate the free stuff. They, they, they want do. they want it to be paid. And so part of their licensing agreement is that they minimize that. Yeah. That's yeah. Here, right. So that yeah, is, they minimize functionality like you can only have so many skips and you can only listen to so much. And, you know, they're trying to ratchet that down to make it more appealing uh, to subscribe. Um, and because that's, that's where it's at. 
And I, I would be remiss if I didn't say that the, the number one streaming service for music isn't Spotify or Apple Music. It's YouTube, and it is by a mile. And if you look at your morning coffee tomorrow, there's a really great article coming out about music. And I'm not talking about the music digital service provider kind of music service for YouTube. I'm just talking about YouTube in general. And why is that? Well, because, first of all, there's the number of users, but you can get anything on YouTube, B-sides, outtakes, live things. <laughs> on that note, we do need to take a quick break, and we will do that. So when we come back, we got more with Jay Gilbert and Digital Music Now on Pop Tech Radio. Weird, boxy, funky, fun, iconic. You can call the Kia Soul a lot of things, but you can never call it boring. And now, with a wide variety of newly adapted trims, it's time to expand your vocabulary. The adventure-hungry Urban Explorer Soul X-Line, the stylish, tech-savvy Soul EX, and the relentlessly athletic, turbocharged Soul GT Line Turbo. The new species of Soul, the 2020 Soul. Give it everything. We're back, Pop Tech Radio. Mike Etchart with Jay Gilbert. He, of course, of Label Logic. He is a digital strategist, and he is also the author of the wonderful newsletter, Your Morning Coffee. So, Jay, iTunes, it's basically being broken up. It's not really going away, but there's so many new folks in the market. We were just on our break kind of talking about them. What should we be aware of? You know, well, there youtube and but there's exactly up. youtube is huge and there's so many great services out there uh to fit every need but we we're talking a little bit about pandora and and pandora is a beast i mean pandora has so many users and it's evolved and changed and you know you hear all these really great things there you know whether it's live performances when people come by their studios or messages from the artists which you don't hear as much on the other digital service providers you hear a lot more of those artists actually talking you know uh, in front of their music and it's not your mother's pandora it's really grown and it's really hip and cool the other thing is which is exploding more i think than anything else in the business right now is voice like the amazon echo the google home the apple home pod and it's amazing because you just say hey and the name of the device which i won't say right now because it'll play and it will play music for you but what's interesting is you can say things like play the best pop songs from 1984 the number one search term on that device is chill and the number two is kids music so you come in you're busy you're tired after work you say, play chill music, play dinner music, that sort of thing. It's less about genre and more about mood. And so in that case, the device is driving your subscription choice, correct? Yeah, just like the iPod. Yeah, just like the Back iPod. Back in the day. Now, if you were going to get out your crystal ball and your Swami hat, <laughs> uh, and we're having this discussion in, let's say, three years, um, is there anything kind of on the horizon that you think might be coming our way that we should know about? I do. I think it's voice and I think it's mobile. I think voice is getting better and better and better. There are some problems right now, like up until recently, if you wanted to play Julian Lodge, uh, it couldn't play it. But now it can. But if you said play Julian Loggy, 
it could. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have to deliver our metadata phonetically. We're going to have to make sure that if you have an accent, that it still recognizes what you say. So we're in the early, early days of voice, but it's moving to the cars really quickly. Ford is a, an early adopter. BMW is an early adopter. You're going to see this where you get into your car and you say, play chill music, play the accidentals, play whatever, and it's going to play it for you. And I think that's really where this is going. But also, like I said, we're getting so far away from, hey, play jazz. It's not going to be about genre so much anymore. It's going to be all these little sub-genres, and it's already starting to happen now. By the way, sub-genres that, from the music business side, Nobody ever categorized things like that. (laughs) Right. But they are now. They're going back in and there's metadata companies that are going in and applying not only the genre, subgenre, but what kind of instrumentation is on, how many beats per minute, what's the mood, you know, is it depressing, is it uplifting? All of those things are being placed in the metadata. And for those that don't know what metadata is, it's just the underlying information about a song or an album that these systems use. What about the artists? How are they faring in all of this? And is there good news for them? Because I know there's a lot of bad news for them in terms of what they make these days from this. Right. Well, it's good and bad. It's good because now you can make your music available globally in a heartbeat. TuneCore, CD Baby, DistroKid, Stem, Symphonic. There's so many different places where I could record something on my iPad today and tomorrow get it up worldwide. That's amazing, right? The other thing is, but now you're competing. You're not just against your local band, you're competing against Drake and the Chainsmokers, right? Mm -hmm. So there's that. And then the last thing I'll say is that there's this common misconception about money. You can make money from streaming, but a stream isn't worth a download. A download isn't worth a CD. And you talk about these people who say, oh, I I had a million streams and I only made $100. Well, they probably weren't the writer or there were many co-writers. They might not have been recouped from their record company. I mean, there's so much to go through, but I can tell you that you can make money. And I know people who are making money from streaming. Good news. That is good news. And on that note, we do need to wrap it up. Big thanks from the team here at Popular Technology Radio. Cody Castleberry is my producer and editor. Uh, don't forget, we are podcast. If you want to go back and revisit some of our earlier episodes, wherever you get your podcasts, we are there, including iTunes and other different places on the interweb. So do check us out there. And I also want to thank our syndicator for the folks that deliver this content, our radio show, out to the terrestrial stations it carries. That's Radio America. Big thanks to Mike Paradiso, Jenny Ditas up there. They get the show out. And Jay Gilbert, give us your website if folks want to get a subscription to you. Thank you. In coffee. Yeah. Yeah, it's label-logic.net, and right as you open it up, there's a place you can subscribe to your morning coffee. It's free. Please do, and, and thanks so much for having me. Oh, great to have you on the show, Jay. We will check in with him again, so thanks for listening. Have a wonderful week. We will see you next time on PopTech Radio. The big news from Subaru is the three-row Ascent. It's the biggest SUV from Subaru ever. There's room for seven or eight passengers with a choice of second row captain's chairs or bench seating. It'll tow up to 5,000 pounds. It has interior space you need for your whole crew. And it gets you where you want to go with the safety of a Subaru, including standard symmetrical all-wheel drive. The three-row Subaru Ascent. Love is now bigger than ever. Maximum towing capacity varies by trim level, and trailer brakes may be required. See your retailer for details.